Welcome to Christ in Prophecy. We are certainly glad to have you here today, and we have a special treat in store for you. Many Christians realize that, as Brock and Bodhi Taney like to point out, everything in Scripture means something. As we demonstrated on our Jesus in the Old Testament series, the Old Testament is chock full of prophetic references and types and Christophanies, all pointing to Jesus Christ. That is true about people and incidents. We know that when we study Scripture and the Holy Spirit opens the eyes of our heart, we discern things that point to Jesus as the Messiah, just like the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Over the next several weeks, we are going to explore the Feast of Israel from a prophetic perspective. The Feasts of Israel are commemorations or celebrations ordained by God. Still observed by Jews around the world today, the Feasts offer tremendous insight into God's provision for His people. When instituted by God, all of them pointed backwards to a specific event or idea that God wanted the Jews to remember. But they also pointed forward, indicating a future fulfillment in the fullness of time. Taken together, they offer a foreshadowing of God's plan for the ages, and they clearly and prophetically point to the Messiah's first and second coming. What was the overarching reason for the feasts that have been observed by the Jewish people for thousands of years? How did each of them point forward to a prophetic fulfillment? Which ones have already been fulfilled, and which of them still await final fulfillment? As Nathan said, some of the feasts have already been fulfilled, as documented in the New Testament. Others still await fulfillment and should lead us to anticipate our soon returning King. On that note, we've invited an expert on the Jewish feast to join us for this series. Dr. Richard Hill is a longtime friend of Lamb and Lion Ministries and brings not only an appreciation of all the feasts as a Jew, but understanding of their prophetic significance as a follower of our Jewish Messiah. So Richard, we are delighted to have you with us today. And we want you to tell us a little bit about your own background, just a little testimony, how you came to understand Jesus as the Messiah. Well, it's great to be here and such a blessing to be able to teach about these very dear feasts, dear to my heart, but also dear to the Jewish people. And I believe should be dear to all Christians, everybody that believes in Jesus. And so uh, both my wife and I, we actually uh, came to know Jesus while we were going and attending Hal Lindsey's church in Los Angeles. Can you imagine that? Back in the 90s. And uh, so we ended up there and heard the gospel preached and about how God loves us and God's grace is triumphant over all. And so we, we just received that message and both of us uh, got saved and got our names written in the book of life. And that's a key when it comes to Jewish people, getting your names written in the book of life. The only way to get in there is through Yeshua Jesus. Amen. Oh, wow. It's amazing how many people that we encounter that say that Hal Lindsey's late great planet Earth and other teachings brought them to Christ. I ended up having to read the book recently. I was like, I'm just, I teach Bible prophecy, but I didn't read the book. So I finally read the book. I was like, there, you could see the Lord was speaking through Bible prophecy. Now, you're, we you're did on it, a, We did it the other way around. You though. did the other way. Okay. We listened, we actually listened to him at his church first to get saved, and then we got the books afterwards. Oh, okay. <laughs> and learned about the rapture and learned about the great plate. Well, uh, the you, great plate. Uh, uh, the late great, great planet, planet Earth. Yeah, Earth. Yeah, Earth. 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 And then you ended up writing your own book, which teaches a lot of what the late great planet Earth did, right? I mean, but it seems like a lot more detail. Yes. Oh, yeah. And now Israel and Prophecy, that is a book that talks about end times, but it really focuses on where is Israel in all those end times. Now, I bring in the world and we talk about what's going to happen to the world as well, but over 150 sets of scriptures 
from Old Testament and New Testament that talk about Israel in prophecy. I think that's what you bring even today is an understanding and an appreciation from a Jewish perspective. Many Christians, and, and dare I say Gentile Christians, read the Bible. Some will even say, well, I'm a New Testament Christian, which is sometimes to dismiss the Old Testament. There are even pastors who say, ah, oh, we don't need to look at the Old Testament. There's nothing relevant there. But if you don't understand the Old Testament, then you will not understand many of the prophecies that were fulfilled in the life of Jesus, many that are still awaiting fulfillment, and not just prophecies and promises to the church, but prophecies and promises that deal with Israel, and those are still relevant. And yet woven into all of that history and the narrative contained within the Old Testament are beautiful signs pointing to the Messiah. We did a whole series on that, but now we want to explore the feasts and see what they have to offer us and perhaps some of us as uh, Gentile believers especially don't have a, a complete understanding of the feast, and so we hope to bring that out over this series. Well, I'll tell you, I've been uh, studying the feast, but also living the feasts. Both my wife and I, we were Messianic Jews that were living in uh, all of the feasts, and this. we also celebrate the Sabbath, and so we have a Messianic Jewish lifestyle. Well, you so also have a, a, bit different. a Messianic church you pastor, as well as a, a ministry that reaches out to Jewish people, yes. right? Yes. Now, we're, we're in Las Vegas, okay. and uh, so I'm with CGF Ministries as a missionary in Las Vegas. We're preaching the gospel to the Jewish people there. We have 80,000 Jewish people that live there, if you can imagine that. So what does CGF stand for? Because that is a shortened version of a, another name. Well, we used to be called the Christian Jew Foundation. Okay. And now it's just CJF. You take the letters, first letters of, of course. Those, yeah. And you said how many Jews got saved through your ministry last year? Oh, uh, this past year, just 12. That's still yeah. amazing. That's the most that we've ever had in one year. Hey, that's yeah. one per tribe. I think yeah. you're on <laughs> That's a godly number right there. Yeah. Well, obviously, as we dive into the feast, the feasts themselves hearken back to being ordained by God Himself during the time of the Exodus and shortly thereafter, but they kind of follow an agricultural cycle. So let's explore briefly, without diving in complete detail, because we're going to do that in the episodes to come, but just an overview. Tell us a little bit about the timing of these feasts. Because well, as a Gentile, I think it's mostly over our heads. So, it is. Yeah, help, help yeah. us oh, out here. Oh, it's not over your heads. Help us. We just got <laughs> been introduced to it as, as our growing up years like most Jewish children. Yeah, right. pretend we know yeah. nothing about it and, and just... <laughs> so you have seven feasts that God gave to Israel and found in the book of Leviticus chapter 23. That's the summary chapter that we usually tend to, to uh, direct to. And then you can go to lots of other verses throughout the Bible. So all of the feasts, all those seven feasts are in there. And we have four spring feasts. Okay, you start in April, sort of. That's the first feast, Passover. Okay, and that's the beginning of the cycle of the years for the Jewish people as well. God introduced a new cycle for the Jewish people when He brought them out of the land of Egypt. He said, I want you to begin your year this year, okay, in this month. So starting with Passover. And so you've got Passover, then you have unleavened bread, and then you have first fruits. So those first three feasts all happen within a day of each other. Okay. Boom, boom, boom. Knock those three out. Now, I've got to interject one thing, because even some of our viewers may not be as familiar with agriculture. Uh, we have kind of lost that sense in our own society here in America. Most people live in cities or suburbs, and they don't grow and plant their own food. So you think, well, now wait, spring is when you plant, fall is when you harvest. But farmers, even here, know that there are winter crops. And so they will plant winter wheat, and it is harvested in the spring. 
in time to then plant another set of crops that will be harvested in the fall. So when you talk about spring being a first fruit, there are fruits, grains that would be harvested, and especially in a place like Israel, there in the Middle East, the the agricultural cycle would be year-round with something that would be produced and grow even for a spring harvest and yet another greater harvest to come in the fall. That's the first fruits. And that is. And in Passover, you're talking about the barley harvest. Okay, first is the barley harvest, and then by Pentecost, which is the fourth feast, then you have a wheat harvest. Okay. And so the barley is called the the poor man's uh, bread, you know, the poor man's wheat, basically. And the bread that's made out of it is the poor man's bread. So, um, but it's still, you know, very tasty and uh, very good for you. And on the timeline then, between the the first three feasts that kind of fall on to the same weekend, how many days between the... um, You've got the first fruits and unleavened bread, and then yeah, Passover. Passover. You have unleavened bread, and then and first fruits, fruits. I'm and, sorry, then get back. and then you have fifty days. Then you count days. fifty days okay. to get to Pentecost. So it's kind of interesting. The first three feasts are all they're all knocked out right away, and then you wait fifteen days after them to get to the next feast. And so the fulfillment is kind of interesting as well, because Jesus fulfills those first three feasts in His first coming. But then the fourth feast is after His coming, after He leaves. We have the ascension, and then the fourth feast is fulfilled because that is the giving of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. But it came after, you know. So, so it's he- kind of tied into the first coming, but it's a little bit interesting, it comes after. And then when you get to the last three, yet the last three feasts that fall in the fall, occur in the fall, and you've got Rosh Hashanah, Yom Teruah, which is Rosh Hashanah, and then you have Yom Kippur, and then you have the Feast of Tabernacles. And so you call it Rosh Hashanah and Yom Teruah, but many of our viewers may know that fifth feast as the Feast of Trumpets. Feast of Trumpets. Okay, Yom, Yom Teruah, Teruah is the Feast of Shofars. So you're blowing the Shofar Feast of Trumpets, right? Okay. And But that feast actually occurs before the second coming in the fulfillment. Mm. We're seeing that feast as, as the rapture. Okay. And so... In the first three, right, then you have the fourth one that comes after just a little bit. And then the last three, the first one of the last three comes before the second coming. So it kind of involves the second coming as well. But there's a separation of at least seven years from that feast to the next feast. So using some of the uh, some of the Jewish terminology, obviously we talk about Passover, but the Jewish word for that feast would be Pesach. Pesach. And then we go to unleavened bread. But Passover is a very, very wonderful feast where families come together. Yes. And and, uh, family and friends. We have a special meal. Called a Seder. Passover Seder. And it centers around the Seder plate. It centers around all the foods that are involved in the feast as well. And the foods themselves are symbolic to point back to the Exodus, to the time of bondage, and to the deliverance from captivity. And it even involves in the future as well, the future fulfillment. And we'll talk about that when we get to that feast. To understand that the Lord had a purpose for the Jewish people to remember their history and how He delivered them, but also to look forward to future mm-hmm. deliverance? Yes, exactly. Wow. So there's a historical fulfillment on all of the feasts. And it also does point to something God did great for Israel. And then there's always an aspect of a messianic fulfillment. How is the Messiah going to fulfill these feasts as well? Because okay. you hear Christians say, especially Gentiles, well, the first four feasts, yeah, you could calculate that it you know, fell on Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and Pentecost was the beginning of the church. And then they get to the final three feasts, which are future. It's, ah, those don't apply to anything and all. 
as a Jewish person, as a Messianic Jewish person, you, your eyes have opened. You can see that those will be fulfilled one day, right? And here's the thing. God fulfilled them in order that he gave them to the Jewish people. Passover was fulfilled first. Then unleavened bread was fulfilled second, and then first fruits, and then Pentecost. Okay. Pentecost also known, again, to give just a little bit of Jewish flavor, yeah. uh, also known as what in the Hebrew? Shavuot. Shavuot, which means? Sevens. Seven, seven so weeks. Seven Sabbaths have passed seven Sabbaths, since the yeah. Feast of First Fruits, seven Sabbaths, and then one more day for the day of Pentecost. So by definition, it would have been on a Sunday. And okay. it's 50 days. Similar to a Jubilee. Yes, wow. similar. And uh, the 50 days is Pentecost in the Greek. So a lot of Christians don't know that Pentecost means 50 days. 50 days, but that's a Greek word that we're using to mm -hmm. describe a Jewish feast that was originally Sabuot, which is yes. Shavuot. Uh, I'll try to get my Hebrew down. <laughs> Seven weeks and a day. All right, then we have a, a period throughout the summer months as the, the agriculture is producing now, yet another harvest yes. and a bigger harvest. So the first fruits is celebrating God's provision, His promise that, that more harvest is coming. More harvest is coming. That is the key to those. The key to those. And yeah. yet part of the Jewish practice is to take those first fruits and you think, boy, we've been hungry. We've been going through winter. Now we finally have uh, produce, but we're going to give a, the first portion to God which is a demonstration of their faith that He's going to bring exactly. in more. Faith and trusting in God and that He is going to provide, continues to provide. But what's the key? We have to follow Him. We have to listen and obey God. What's important is, is Passover is, it's when we get to the sixth feast that's really the most important, right? That deals with atonement. And what is the prophetic significance of the sixth feast? Well, the sixth feast is Yom Kippur, yep. and that's the Day of Atonement for the Jewish people. And so what they are doing, and even to this day, if you can imagine, they're still doing this. They are repenting and confessing their sins for the last year. So it's an atonement. So it's an atonement for their sins. And the idea is to get your name in, written in the Book of Life, ah. you see. Mm. And so their belief is Rosh Hashanah. God opens up the Book of Life, and now you have 10 days from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur to get your name in it. And so you have to do certain things. You got to yeah. perform good works. And of course, there's a telethon. If you want to give to the telethon, you <laughs> Isn't can- Isn't there always, yeah. <laughs> you can give to the telethon and that's a good work though. But uh, Jewish people are really concerned about getting their names in the Book of Life. And so that's a great time to be able to share the good news message of Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah to the Jewish people because they are considering this right here, where is my heart before God? I don't know of any other culture, including our own, which has Thanksgiving, which originally was designed to give thanks, uh, an outpouring of gratitude to Almighty God. Today you hear people talk about, I'm just thankful for being thankful. And you think, who are you thanking? I don't know. No, Thanksgiving was designed to be thankful to Almighty God, who is the provider of every blessing. But only the Jewish culture has a day of feast, a, a period called Yom Kippur, where they, they look inward and they actually confess their sins. And it's very introspective to come humbly before God, recognizing that, that I'm not worthy. And then the final feast that they would celebrate is Sukkot, yep. which is also known as the Feast of Tabernacles, Tabernacles or Yes, of course. And, and that happens after the 10 days now, of all? What's interesting though, I wanted to mention this about Tabernacles, is here in the United States, Guess what? The guess what feast Thanksgiving is patterned after? 
when the original pilgrims came, they patterned Thanksgiving after tabernacles. Really? Okay, yes. I did not know that. That's a historical uh, fact in our nation here. But it, they that... wanted a feast that was joyous, and one that where you can obviously eat a lot of food. Yeah. yeah. And mm -hmm. tabernacles is that feast. Well, Richard, if the Feast of, of Trumpets is supposed to be the rapture, and the atonement's the second coming, then what about the seventh and last feast where the Lord tabernacles with us? Does that point to the millennial kingdom? Yes, that's a point to the millennial kingdom. And Jesus even said that the Gentiles are going to be coming to celebrate every year at the temple. And so we're celebrating what? God with us. That's the theme of Sukkot or the Feast of Tabernacles. I God is even, with us. God is with us. You know, I think that there was a pre-fulfillment of this feast for a window of time when Jesus uh, was called Emmanuel, God with us. So I think it's almost a preview of how He intends to dwell with us, with His people forever, but especially in that millennial kingdom when all the nations are streaming to worship Him. Uh, what a time that's going to be in, in tabernacling with our Lord. And it's going to be great for families as well to come together, to be able to worship together and come to the temple on the Temple Mount. And well, Gentiles from around the world are going to be required to come every year to worship the King. To worship so the King. Worship the King, right? We, God we us, will right? be celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles and the other feasts, you think? We're going to be celebrating all of the feasts. And I okay. believe we'll be celebrating Hanukkah and Purim during the Millennial Kingdom as well. We're going to actually. All those feasts are very prophetic. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned Hanukkah and Purim because although they're not part of the seven feasts, we do plan to have a little special treat for our viewers regarding Hanukkah and Purim. But in just a moment, I'd like to talk more about the family aspect, the, really the community aspect of all these feasts. But before we get into that, we're going to take just a moment to share a special offer we have with, for you today if you really want to dive into God's prophetic word and begin to understand what He has in store for you. If you would like more information about the varieties of Bible prophecy, plus detailed information about every aspect of God's prophetic word, you need to get a copy of Dr. Reagan's book, God's Plan for the Ages. This book was first published in 2005, and Jack Van Impey wrote a glowing review of it. He said, God's Plan for the Ages offers a sweeping panoramic view of prophetic events, unlike anything I've ever studied, even after having read more than 11,000 books book covers every aspect of Bible prophecy, including major issues. The book runs 381 pages and can be yours for a gift of $20 or more, including the cost of shipping. And with each copy ordered, we will supply you with a copy of Colonel Tim Moore's 48-page booklet titled, Looking Forward to the Reign of Jesus Christ. This booklet explains why Tim has a premillennial view of end-time prophecy and why it matters. Just ask for offer number 152. You can place your order through our website at lamblion.com or by calling the number you see on the screen. Again, you can place your order through our website or by calling the number you see on the screen. Just ask for offer number 152. You can be assured that these materials will be a great blessing to you in understanding God's prophetic word. Welcome back to Christ in Prophecy. We've been talking to Richard Hill about all the feasts of Israel, and obviously with both our offer today and with what we have in store for you in the weeks to come, we want to point you to our soon coming king, and we're talking about the feast. Richard, in our previous segment, you mentioned about how they were important to families. So give us an understanding, even as Gentiles, of how significant the feasts are to pass on awareness to the next generations about what God has done and what he has in store for the Jewish people. Well, it's really important in the Jewish world for family and uh, community as well. 
And that's why you see synagogues. Synagogues were developed so that the community come together and worship God in their little cities, in their towns and villages all across Israel. And so it's very important. And as we're going to see each of those feasts, God is directing the Jewish people to pass on down the information to the next generation. And so it was really important that everybody know about this. And obviously God knew that there was going to be attacks against the Israel mm. people and, and against the Jewish people. And so these things, uh, these aspects, these feasts bring the Jewish people together mm. in love and joy and peace and obviously helping to develop the community and to keep it strong. Because it's interesting how as a, as a Jewish people who have been so persecuted and dispersed twice around the, pl the planet, yet 3,000 plus years later, they still have their identity and their culture. I can't go back and say, you know, I don't know any Welsh culture from the, the no, Joneses a long time ago. There's but no other ites. I call them ites. The Canaanites, they're all gone. All the other ites that are found in the Bible, except for the Jewish people. And because the of this cultural feast of kept them as a, an identity. And of course, God. We know God and is the one that kept their identity, yeah. yes. Yeah. But, but this is an aspect of, of bringing it together for the Jewish people. And you can go anywhere around the world and be able to celebrate Passover. And guess what? You're going to be invited in with the family and be one. I think there's something that we even as Christians in a Gentile context miss because we enjoy going to church. But, but sadly, sometimes today, churches have almost devolved. Uh, during the last few years, people stopped going to churches regularly, and some of them have not returned. We, you hear Christians say, well, I don't need to go to church. I, I, I serve the Lord. I love the Lord. And we miss that community aspect that the Lord intended for the body of Christ to be. And He ordained for the Jewish people these feasts to keep them connected to a body, to the Jewishness that, uh, that is part of their identity. But this can help the churches as well. Celebrating yes. all these feasts as well, because they're for us as well. They are for us as well. Well, Richard, I, I'm looking forward to all that you're going to bring in all the episodes to come, because we're going to review all of these feasts, again, with some special treats uh, to come. And we're going to intersperse some testimonials, even as we're discussing the feasts throughout this series. But your expertise is going to be a, a blessing to us, to our viewers, and I know will glorify the Lord God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So stay tuned for all that we have in store for you we know it will be a blessing. Well, the festivals of Israel, more than anything else, they are kingdom messages to us. They all point in different ways to a different aspect of the person and the work of Messiah. We know that Paul says that these things are a shadow of things that are coming, but what casts that shadow, the substance, is indeed Messiah, Jesus Christ. So these festivals, whether we're talking about Passover or Shavuot, the Feast of Pentecost, whether the Feast of Trumpets or Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, when we examine them and, and unravel them according to God's revelation in His Word, we see that they all point in a very specific way to who Jesus is and also what he has done, but also, and this is what excites me, what he's going to do in establishing that kingdom and bringing about a full fulfillment of what prophetically we should expect and also what God has promised us. So they all point to God's redemption. And when we talk about redemption, many people don't know that in the Hebrew language, there's two different words for redemption. 
One speaks about the payment for redemption, making it possible. A great example of this is, is Passover. But we also need to know that there's a second word for redemption, which speaks of the outcome of that. And the outcome of redemption, well, the rabbis say it's Yeshua, salvation. So salvation, that word means victory. So if you're interested in experiencing God's victory in your life, both here in this age and in the age to come in the kingdom, the festivals of Israel reveal to us these principles of salvation, how we can experience victory on a daily basis and that great victory in the kingdom of God when we will have the privilege of being in the presence of the king. I've been excited to launch this study of the Feast of Israel for some time, not only because I think they mean something to our understanding of God's gospel plan for salvation, but because I believe they have prophetic significance. Some of the feasts have already been fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, or in the birth of the church. Others await final fulfillment at the rapture or the glorious second coming of Jesus Christ and His millennial reign upon this earth. In the weeks to come, we will walk through all the feasts while sharing testimonies of people who have beautiful memories and insights on the various feasts. We know that you will be blessed by what we have in store for you. But Nathan and I, along with Richard and every other believer who is excited about the rapture of the church, are looking forward to another great feast. That's right. We're looking forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb when Jesus celebrates His gathering of His church, the Bride of Christ. Only invited guests will partake at that great heavenly feast. Our earnest prayer is that you have embraced Jesus as Savior and worship Him as Lord. If you have, He is your bridegroom. Soon, He will come for you and take you to His Father's house, rescuing you from the wrath to come. If you don't already know Him, do not delay. Place your trust in Him right now. Well, that's our program for today. We hope you'll join us next week for another episode of Christ in Prophecy. Until then, Godspeed. Registration is now open for the Lamb and Lion Ministries annual Bible Prophecy Conference coming up on June 9th and 10th. Given the darkness and chaos infecting our society, our theme for 2023 is Let Not Your Heart Be Troubled, a message of strength and encouragement as we wait upon the Lord. The conference will begin Friday evening and run all day Saturday. Our all-star speaking lineup includes pastors Robert Jeffress, Tommy Nelson, and Erwin Lutzer, along with David Barton and David Reagan. Additional details, including a timeline and speaker topics, are available on our website at ChristinProphecy.org. We have shifted our venue to the beautiful Denton Convention Center, co-located with the Embassy Suites Hotel in Denton, Texas, just north of Dallas. Registration is only $10, with an optional lunch presentation as well. You won't want to miss this exciting and inspiring event pointing to Jesus' soon return. We'll hope to see you all in June. Christ in Prophecy is made possible through the faithful and generous support of viewers like you. Please consider making a donation to Lamb and Lion Ministries so that we can continue broadcasting the message of Jesus' soon return. Thank you and God bless you.